Welcome. We now join Fred Kuhn and his guest. Welcome, everybody. The program today is on the intersection of ethics and leadership. My guest is Michelle Blakely. Michelle is an ethicist and executive leader who is driven to change the dialogue and culture of organizations. She has extensive experience in not-for-profit hospitals and healthcare systems. She's known for her capabilities in organizational assessment, leader selection, development, process improvement, system design and optimization of the patient experience, and operational efficiencies to drive bottom lines. So all of you executives listening, listen up. Michelle, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. The intersections of ethics and leadership. So let's get right to it. What does the intersection between ethics and leadership look like? and Why is that important? I'm so pleased to be able to talk about this. So as leaders of the organization, and it can be a leader at any level of the organization, uh, we all know that we live in a fishbowl, that we are responsible for not only writing what policy looks like and what our expectations around performance are, but we're responsible for living it and modeling what those behaviors should look like. So why does ethics and leadership need to intersect? Because there isn't an organization that I am aware of on the planet that doesn't have as part of its core values an expectation around ethics or integrity or having a strong moral compass. And the organization, the staff, and if you're in healthcare like me, the patients, if you're in sales, it's the clients are looking for an organization that they can count on for delivering on basic expectations. As the leader, the rest of the staff that report to you that are actually the hands-on front customer-facing part of the organization are the ones who live out those expectations. It can be as simple as how do you handle a sales interaction or in a patient care experience, what does that intersection look like when the patient is scared or afraid and how well the staff manages that interface. The leader sets the tone, and we all know this. We talk about the role of a leader in an organization, but how do they set the tone? And if there is a question or a challenge, do the staff understand that at the end of the day, the right thing is the right thing? And how is the right thing actually defined? That's why it is really important as a leader to have as part of your toolbox something that is very clearly demonstrated on what ethics looks like for you and the organization, because everyone's watching. What would that toolbox look like? What would those tools be, Michelle? Great question. The tools are the policies that we establish and how do you execute on a policy around conflict resolution? How do you execute on a policy around escalation of concerns? How well have you empowered an individual in your organization to make a decision that's in the best interest of the client, the patient, or their colleague employee that may not be on its surface looking like it's in the best interest of the bottom line. So determining what's really important to the organization and giving the staff the tools, and you say, what are those tools? It's empowerment. It is clarity around expectations. It is trusting that if they do the right thing based on their understanding of what the right thing is in that moment, 
that the organization will support the decision that they've made, even if it's a bad decision, because we can work towards a better decision when people are empowered to think on their own and are given basic frameworks by which to work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The question is, how does an organization go about diversifying this power, putting the power down at the local level to make decisions? How do you define the power that each level has? And how do you make sure that that's fluid? I say this because I'm going through something right now with the company, and it's tech one, then tech two, then tech three, then tech four, back to tech one. I mean, they don't have a, it's a large organization, and the customer service right now I describe as pretty lousy (laughs) because they don't have this, they don't have this ability to do anything beyond certain prescribed parameters. And then you have to get moved to somebody else. You have to start all over again. Very frustrating for the consumer. Is this what you're talking about? It is absolutely what I'm talking about. And so when I think about the role of a leader, one of the key things that we're supposed to do is hire talent. And we hire talent based on the needs of the organization and their certainly their competence to do the actual task. But we're also hiring for the things that are harder to put your arms around. Do they understand the culture? Do they fit with my expectations around being able to deliver customer service? I'm smiling because I'm thinking of a conversation that we had in my own organization about when you hire, you hire for talent, you can train for skill. So if a person has a basic competence to do whatever is that critical piece of work that you need, and it could be the surgeon or it could be the housekeeper in my situation, they have to have basic competence. But if I'm choosing between a surgeon who's going to throw instruments across the room when they're upset at a nurse versus the surgeon who's going to step back and say, that didn't go as well as I would have liked. Let's talk about it. I want the one who can have a conversation, who has the ability to communicate in addition to having very clear, highly competent skills. Yeah, those are behaviors, right? Those are behavioral competencies. Right. And so a lot of times we miss the behavioral competencies. And and part of what I'm wanting to impart to people is those behavioral competencies are critical in the success of an organization, and they're critical in an ethical conversation. Because as a leader, the question that presents itself is, I have customer service agent A and customer service agent B. Customer service agent B is amazing at closing the deal. They're great at sales. And so when they put on their public face with the customer, they're excellent. When they turn off the public face, how are they engaging with the rest of the organization and the colleagues who they have to work with? If that person is unpalatable to deal with, then they're not a stellar employee. Yet oftentimes, we look at bottom line results. Did they help the business? And we determine a person's value to the organization based on those hard, quantifiable skills. And we miss the fact that they create absolute havoc for the rest of the organization. And so, therefore, they're not our best asset. There's always a balance between you can't live with them and you can't live without them, right? Right. But I think it is an error on the part of a leader that will say, that's just how they are. That should never be okay if that's just how they are is not in the best interest of the ultimate goal of the organization, which is to achieve results and create a workplace where people can bring their best selves to work. Agreed. Let me ask you, you talked a little about the big E and the little E and the power of the E's. So let's talk about what is the big E, what's the little E, and what is the power of the E? Sure. 
So when people think about ethics, they often think about those huge catastrophic ethical failures, the Enrons. We don't interface with Enron-like situations every day. Those are the big E's. The little E's are when we turn a blind eye to a behavior that's not acceptable. When we turn a blind eye and we treat employees differently based on outcomes, if you happen to like a particular person and they have mediocre outcomes, and you've decided another person whose personality is not the problem, their behaviors are not the problem, it's just something about them you don't like quite so much. And that person can't get away with, quote unquote, the same things that the other person can. Those are little ease. Everyone is watching. And at the end of the day, as a leader, you should be able to look in the mirror and say to yourself, did I do well today? Did I add value today? Did I create an environment that allows my organization to be successful? And if you can say yes to those questions, then I ask you, how well are you managing the little e? For us in a hospital environment, am I pacifying the provider who gives me more admissions, even though they don't meet any of the other requirements for the hospital? They're terrible at at documentation of the medical record. They're terrible at ensuring that the nurse understands what the expectations are for that patient and can therefore deliver the kind of care that we're looking for within the organization. Those are little ease because as a leader, if I say to the staff, I understand that that physician isn't our best citizen, but man, they give us a lot of admissions. And if any leader thinks that the entire organization isn't looking to see how we make different decisions based on bottom line versus value, and value includes bottom line, but it is not exclusively bottom line, then we are missing out on those little E moments. And it's the little E moments that set your culture. Well, you mentioned that people are watching, and they are. People take their lead from the leaders. They take their moves from the leaders. Uh, Well, if if he or she's going to act this way, then I can too. It's a, a real challenge, isn't it, for a leader? It is. And I think it's even a little more dangerous than that. Not only can they get away with it, sometimes they feel compelled to do things that they might not ordinarily do because it's safer to walk the line of whether or not I feel this is ethical or not because it's what my leader really wants me to do as opposed to what I really believe is the right thing to do. Now, you and I were talking before the broadcast about boiling frogs. We all know that, you know, the old adage about leaving a frog in a boiling pot. And so, but I want to understand your positioning on this from a leadership point of view. So let's talk about boiling frogs. <laughs> right. I simply love this analogy. I love it, love it, love it, because it, it is all about the culture that you set. And so I'm going to go back to another thing that everyone says, employees are the most valuable asset in an organization. And we spend an incredible amount of time selecting talent. We invest in that talent and we bring them into our houses, whatever our business happens to be, and we expect them to do and be their best. However, my challenge always to the leader is, what kind of environment did you invite them into? Did you invite them into that pot of water that they will feel compelled to jump out of because it's already too hot for them and they can't be successful? Or did you bring them into the environment where it's cozy enough, meaning the ethics are totally out of control here. I think I can exist in this environment. I don't think it's exactly what I signed up for. I'm able to basically do my job. 
and I think I can do a great job. However, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's not so uncomfortable that I'm going to jump out of the pot, thus the boiled frog. And so this employee who brings, every employee is so excited to start work. You bring your best self to the organization. You have all this talent to share, whatever that talent is. And you want to come to an environment that allows you to excel. It allows you to challenge status quo. It allows you to question a behavior or a practice that seems inconsistent with what you understood the organization to be about. When the culture is good, you don't boil the frog because the frog can actually say, water's not feeling really good right now. It feels a little hot. It feels a little different than I expected. Can I talk about it? If they can talk about it, the frog doesn't boil. If they can talk about it, they can actually help change the climate or the environment in the organization. However, if the climate is uncomfortable and the person needs the job or the person feels like they can compromise just a little bit, then they will stay and they will boil. And so as a leader, I challenge all of us to constantly think about what kind of culture did you establish? Is it an ethical culture? Is it a culture that empowers and enables? Is it a culture that has defined what right looks like? And if anyone's gut tells them something's off, we can hear from that voice whoever that voice is in the organization. And we're not respecters of person, but we're really respecters of what's in the best interest. So that's what I mean when I talk about the boiling frog. Yeah, the communication is don't shoot the messenger. Set up a system where the messenger's message is received, welcome, and evaluated. Yes, and trust that if we take the time to hire talent and really think about what the person brings to the organization, that person has value and they will not steer the organization wrong if we allow people to ask the question, particularly around what's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. Everybody, we have spent a very engaging 15 minutes with Michelle Blakely on the intersections of ethics and leadership. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. People, you can read her bio on the website. It's a, a, an excellent bio, and she is a change maker. So, Michelle, thanks so much for joining today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you wish to speak with Fred or you want a transcript of this interview, send an email to podcast at stuartcoopercoon.com. See you soon.